With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Past Lives Podcast, and I'm your host, Simon Bowne. My mission here at the Past Lives Podcast is to investigate evidence that demonstrates survival of the human soul. We look at past life memories, near-death experiences, spirit communication and other incredible phenomena. To get access to the extended versions of the episodes, you can join the Past Lives Podcast Patreon campaign. And when you sign up for $5 a month, you get an extended episode every week. And for $2 a month, you get an extended episode every month. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash pastlivespodcast. Or click on the Patreon button on my homepage at pastlifeshypnosis.co.uk. Also, when you book a past life regression hypnosis session with me and you're a patron, you get a 25% discount. And I'm offering a free consultation call which can be booked on my website. The links for all this are in the show notes and you can find the show notes for this and every other episode on my website. My Instagram is pastlivespodcast with an underscore between each word and on Twitter I am at Simon G. Bowne. There is a Past Lives Podcast Facebook group, and if you'd like to join, you'd be very welcome. Now this week I'm talking to David Gorelli about his book, How to Escape from Hell, Studies of the Afterlife. This book focuses on the extraordinary, distressing and hellish near-death experience stories from people all over the world. Hi David, thanks a lot for coming onto the podcast. It's kind of you to give us your time. You're very welcome, Simon. It's good to be here. And thanks for the invitation. Okay, so could you tell us how is it you got interested in this aspect of near-death experiences? Sure, no problem, Simon. So I'll start from the beginning. Um, so prior to becoming interested in hellish experiences or, or less than positive experiences, I, uh, at a very young age, I became abruptly aware of the reality of death. And unlike most children, including my own, um, I wasn't able to deal with the subject quite as easily um, as other children. And so I started to have panic attacks. I wasn't able to sleep. Um, it became a kind of um, borderline medical situation. And I saw doctors and, and, and various other psychologists to try and determine, you know, why am I hyperventilating and not sleeping and all of these problems. And I just couldn't deal with the earth shattering reality of um, death. And so my mother um, purchased the book, um, The Light Beyond for me, which is the book by Dr. Raymond Moody. It's kind of a gateway drug into NDEs and um, that was really helpful so it kind of um, I, 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 I was born Church of England and but my family's never been particularly religious I found the Bible even at a very young age to be somewhat fantastical 
Um, coming from a technology background for the past 24 years, um, I have a very logical mindset. So the, the kind of scripture and the bib biblical references to hell did not really, and if anything, they scared me because, you know, the Bible has a, not just the Bible, but many religions have um, an extensive set of rules and regulations about how you should behave. And I think a lot of people worry about, am I adhering to the rules and regulations to guarantee my spot in heaven? So the Light Beyond provided a, um, a non-judgmental version of uh, the afterlife. And so as I grew up, um, I, I grew up in quite a rough part of England and um, I was exposed to, and I've covered this in a book, um, drug dealers and drug users and violence. And um, I, 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 I mean, I can say I never hurt anybody personally, but I was involved in um, some nefarious activity throughout my life. And so at a young age, having been aware of the light beyond and based on that book alone, I had a, a fairly strong belief system. Um, although to me, it wasn't a belief, it was a fact based on the books that I've read. And um, I started to question, um, am I leading a kind of life that will, will set me on a path to heaven or am I going to burn for all of eternity, which is pretty much what um, I was being told by doctrine. And um, then around the age of 21, I, I um, was diagnosed with a chronic disease um, called Crohn's disease. And um, since then, I've been in and out of hospital my entire life. I've had various surgeries. Um, I had uh, some brushes with death, some very close calls, but I never actually had an MDE. Um, so despite having anaphylactic shock, uh, respiratory failure, or as short as that may be at the time, um, I was in and out of hospital, but I never had an MDE. And so I was curious as well, you know, why have I not had an NDE? And I also cover that in the book as well. So for a time, I, um, I, I wondered a lot about what my post-life destiny would be. And um, eventually, as my life improved and uh, I built a great career for myself, I've traveled the world and I now live in Australia, uh, despite originally being based in London. And with my own son, I decided to, um, my son asked me the same question, what happens when we die? And so now that I live a, a far more honorable life than when I was younger, I decided to go back and, and, and determine, you know, have I um, achieved the conditions for entry into, into heaven or am I looking at a ticket to hell? And so that's when I started to investigate um, hellish experiences. And um, what I found was actually there is a lot of similarities um, between hellish experiences. So there's a lot of comparable similarities, which is true for positive NDEs as well, but that's quite well known. I also found there wasn't, if you do research into hell, what you tend to find, it's theological, it's biblical. There's there's no, and I, I guess because science doesn't consider this to be an actual real subject. Um, and, and, and really the only first-hand or, or second or third-hand evidence we have of hell is through NDE experiences, through our witnesses who have NDEs. And uh, so either I can depend on documents that were written 2,000 years ago and have gone through endless revisions, um, or I can listen to the people that have uh, had these experiences relatively recently and uh, have come back to talk about it and, and see. And then there are various scientific methods. Um, some would probably argue they're not scientific methods, but for example, the Grayson scale is a measurement for scoring an experience to determine is it a near-death experience or is it just an hallucination, um, which is a common uh, a common explanation for people that 
um, I've just heard of an NDE. I'm sure it's just the brain. Although the chances of uh, tens of thousands of brains all having exactly the same hallucination across the entire world, in my opinion, was highly unlikely. And um, so that's where the research took me. And um, I, I also struggled. One thing I found from positive NDEs, which I think is where most people start when it comes to near-death experiences, is the concept of a judgmental, God-fearing entity just does not exist. And um, so it was very difficult for me to reconcile this uh, God that is unconditionally loving regardless of our belief system, which is an important point because um, most religions teach us that if we don't believe, then you know God doesn't believe in us or um, you know we're destined for some damnation. And so none of that, and even religious people, anyone who's read about NDEs will know that any interactions with um, God or um, Supreme Being or the, the Supreme Being of Intelligence, whatever we want to call um, God, they'll know that he, 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 he routinely he'll say, look, I, I don't judge you. I, I'm, you know, no matter, there's nothing you can do that would make, make me love you less. So really, many questions came to my mind. Well, what are the conditions for hell? Um, because there are two types of NDEs when it comes to hell. So one is a direct experience of hell, which I've covered in the book with a number of different experiences. And then there's this concept of observers. So these are people that are having positive near-death experiences, but have been imparted with knowledge of hell or they've seen it. Um, and one of the things that kept on coming up during these experiences was um, people chose to be in hell. So you don't need to be there unless you want to be there. And obviously, why would anybody choose to be in such a horrific place and so that really led me down the path that I took. Um, there's 4% of all NDEs, approximately 4 to 12% of all NDEs are, are less than positive or hellish NDEs. So there's not a huge gold mine of witness statements that we can call upon. But when we start to cross-reference the observers with the direct witnesses, then we start to get a, a pretty good picture. And then if you apply that to some of the other theories around energy. So there's a lot of focus around energy, um, positive and negative energy. And I cover this in the book. There's a concept of agape and various other things. So to answer your question, um, it, it's been a long journey and it was a, a curious, a curious um, something that I was curious about that became more of an obsession over time. And um, as I did the research and went through the reports and I worked very closely with NDERF, uh, the Near Death Experience Research Foundation, and um, I got to a point where it did kind of start to make sense. And I was able to really pull together some mechanical um, information around how hell may exist and, and why it exists and why people go there. So I, 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 I talk about this in the book. I, I do not believe I am destined for hell. I, I don't believe anybody is destined for hell. And um, that's covered quite extensively in the book. So I got the answers I was looking for. Um, but it, the, the rabbit hole went a lot deeper. So there, there's many other things that I, I discovered about hell as well. Well, when you say 4 to 12% of reported NDEs are distressing, do you think that actually the percentage is higher, but people are much less likely to just talk about them? Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and that's, that's absolutely correct, and there's a good reason for that. So a lot of, I mean, NDEs in general have a stigma around them. Which is curious because I, I was talking about this recently um, on another interview. But if you take um, just take a, a kind of current cultural um, phenomenon. So if you look at QAnon, so this is a conspiracy theory started by three people 
Um, and it's become a massive following. It's got a huge following in the US. And, and you know, a lot of people believe deeply in it. It's elected officials have a strong belief in something that doesn't really have any solid evidence to back it up. So then you look at near-death experiences, there are tens of thousands of these reports and many, most go unreported. And yet we, we still consider them to be fringe, um, supernatural um, stories. And, and, and they're not really given the credence they deserve. And because of that stigma, people, even with positive experiences, don't come forward. And a lot of time when people do come forward, their experiences are dismissed as hallucinations or they're losing their mind. And that's even worse for a, a negative experience, because for a negative experience, a lot of these experiences, a lot of our witnesses feel shame, um, humiliation. And what, what we tend to find is, and I cover this in a book, most of the people that have these experiences aren't bad people. So if you're a good person and you go through a hellish experience, you're going to ask yourself, well, why me? I'm a good person. I haven't commit crime, I haven't hurt anybody, why is this happening to me? And obviously, as you know, I talk about that in the book. Um, so yeah, th there's a much lower number of hedge NDs. And, and quite frankly, I think a lot of people that have had it just don't want to talk about it because it's terrifying. Lots of people that have spoken about it and I've included in the book have problems like hyperventilating and um, they, they just, it, it's terrifying for them to revisit that in their mind. So I think, I, I, I think it's a very small percentage of um, the overall hellish experiences that are actually reported. Hello listeners, this is Simon. Now some of you know I have a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy and I'm certified in past life regression therapy. And in the past few weeks I've taken many clients through some amazing and healing past life regressions. And I conduct sessions over Zoom and I've had clients from many countries around the world. Now, when you go through a past life regression, you will feel totally in control and remember everything. And also, I record the whole session and send you an MP3 afterwards. And this gives you space to relax and go with the flow, knowing that you can listen back later and analyse what you experienced if you need to. So if you ever wanted to explore your past lives in a single session or have an issue you want to work on, you can go to my website at pastliveshypnosis.co.uk and book a free 20-minute consultation. And at the moment, I'm offering a 25% discount to everyone that has signed up to the Patreon campaign. The link is in the show notes. We've had a, the idea of hell for hundreds or thousands of years, and it's got quite a intense description of fire and demons. Do you think that perhaps people had NDEs thousands of years ago that were distressing and that's where the description of hell comes from yeah i i think we well i've got at least one example from um 1680 in the book um where a gentleman had an experience so he was in the observer category so he wasn't a direct he wasn't directly um he didn't find himself directly in hell but he did observe hell and it was described to him so when you apply the language of time and you know, in the 16, 16 AD, there was obviously a lot of uh, religious doctrine and um, heresy was a big thing. So there's a lot of kind of religious um, wording and uh, religious uh, doctrine applied to the overall experience. But still, it's very much in line with experiences of the modern day. Um, the reason it's interesting, I, I don't know. So it's a couple of things. So you'd know when we spoke about the egregore. So the, the egregore, which I describe in the book, which is effectively my description of hell, 
and um, it's a collective port form. So it, it kind of makes sense that hell would be exactly as people have spoken about it. So it's hell in, in terms of the book, and obviously it's a big jump, and people would need to read the book to understand exactly what I'm saying. But it's it's a, a manifestation of humanity's perception of what hell would be, and so when when the egregore of hell was created, um, and and this is and just I'll try to be as brief as possible because as you know it's a really big subject. When um, people die, they they all, all human beings uh, largely a very small number don't have this, but most human beings have this negative energy that we collect for our lives. So when we come to Earth, um, we're born um, completely innocent, as we know, hence the reason children are innocent. But as we move through our lives, we pick up habits of contempt and hatred, and this could be environmental or cultural, it could be for any number of reasons. And so we move through our lives collecting this negative energy, but there's no, there's no place in heaven for negative energy. And um, when we pass on from our lives, there's only a couple of things that can happen to that negative energy. So the preferable thing would be to shed that negative energy. And I talk about this in the book, um, the purpose of life. And the book is not about the purpose of life, but we need to touch on that to understand why would we even go for all this stuff to begin with? Why would we be on earth and collect all this negative energy if it could potentially lead us to hell? And, and that is to learn. So we have this um, experience, which anyone who's read about Indies will be familiar with, which is the life review. And if, if you're religious, you may, you may perceive the life review as judgment. Um, but actually, it's not judgment by God or any um, being in heaven. It's judgment by ourselves. And that's the intent. It's for us to enrich our souls. So when we come to this life review and we replay our lives, and it's not just what you hear about in movies and books where your life just flashes before your eyes. <laughs> Excuse me. The intent here is for you to really understand the impact you've had on other people's lives. And that's what it's really about. It's that and forgiving yourself. So you will experience during your life review, and this is a very, very common, you will experience how you have made other people feel to the point where you ex experience their emotions, you experience their pain or their joy. And it's not just negative. There's joyful things that are celebrated um, during this life review process. But for the negative, the intention there is almost to cleanse yourself of these negative experiences. And, and to, to kind of remove that negative energy. And the way you do that is through learning from it and accepting what you did and saying, you know what, I get it. I know what I did wrong. This is what I could have done better. And um, I forgive myself, most importantly, really important to forgive ourselves. God or any being that happens to be with you during that process, it's not always God. It's um, that they, they already forgive you. Like before, they already know what you've done. So a lot of people go into this process um, a lot of people think that when we get to heaven, you know, that's when uh, God or whichever beings we happen to be with are going to go for our life and um, then start judging us. But they already know by the time that we get to that point what we've done. And so it's just being replayed back to us. And so the process of going through that and learning from it sheds that negative energy. So there are many cases, and most of those I've included in the book, where people go directly to hell, but I can, I can explain that a little bit later. Um, so all that negative energy, um, is, so if you, sorry, if you can't complete the life review, um, it's, it's kind of like you're subconsciously choosing to go to hell because it's a bit like, um, imagine an oil spill in the most beautiful Pacific ocean. If you take that, you can't take that negative energy into heaven. There's no place for it. I mean, that's not our natural state as souls to be contemptuous and hateful and greedy and all these different things. 
And what we do know, at least from, from the research, is when people leave their bodies, they become, their, their sense of empathy and compassion is heightened. And, and there's, there's certain things we have to accept um, to understand all this. So obviously I can't cover the whole mechanics of heaven and hell and souls and birth and in one single book, you know, the focus here is more about hell. But suffice to say, if you cannot get into heaven due to this weight of negative energy that you carry, um, then, and, and you can't complete your life review. And I have an example of that in the book, what happens when somebody can't complete their life review, then really there's only one place you can go. And the, the law of attraction um, means that positive energy is attracted to positive energy and negative energy is attracted to negative energy. And one thing that comes up all the time in positive and negative NDEs is this magnet effect. So people say, I was sucked into this tunnel or I was pulled down to hell and they have this overwhelming sense of attraction. So that's the law of attraction. So that your negative energy is attracted to like negative energy. So whether that's in the life review and you've been unable to overcome, I want to say unable to, it's a choice. There's nothing physically stopping you from completing your life review. It's difficult. People use the word ashamed. People use the word horrified. Uh, very simple things they did in life. We're not talking murder or mass genocide. Just simple things. Like I, I, I bumped past somebody in the street and I was really rude to them. And then I felt how they felt and they were really upset. And, you know, I feel humiliated. So very simple things. So it can be quite a difficult process to get through, even if you've lived a, a relatively um, good life. And so if you're not able to complete that, then hell is where we go, or, or more specifically, an egregore. So an egregore, um, and I'll, I'll, go into, I'll dedicate a lot of time in a book to this, an egregore is a collective thought form. So it's all of the energy. So you think about it, when you die, you don't have a physical form. So it's, I think it's widely accepted um, that souls are energy and our natural state is energy. If anything, when you read about NDEs, you find that the human body is more of a cage than anything else. And so we shed our mortal form and we, we revert back to our, our form, our energy form. And then, so that, and that is a very powerful form of energy as well. So it's not just like uh, electricity. You know, we're talking about a conscious um, energy that is part of a wider collective. And, and that, if that energy is consumed by negativity, there's no, you can't go to heaven with that. So you go to hell and you're attracted to it because your negative energy is pulling you in that direction. And bear in mind, negative energy isn't just hatred and contempt and all these other things that we associate with hell. It's also guilt um, and self-loathing. And that's why it's really important that people can learn to forgive themselves. And so if, if a egregore is a collective thought form, it's a manifestation of all of the people. And that doesn't make any less real. It's still just, I mean, the energy of our souls, um, we can manifest anything. And uh, an egregore is a collective manifestation. So I don't know exactly um, when people started to say hell is fire and brimstone and demons and all this kind of stuff, but actually by the very fact that we perceived hell to be such a thing, to, 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 to be full of fire and burning and all these other things, we kind of... Um, unexpectedly creating that version of hell ourselves. So if you think about it, I refer to it in the book as an ancient egregore as well. So let's assume hypothetically the first ever person. Um, now, obviously, I'm, I believe in evolution. I, I, that's a whole different subject. Um, but this is not a religious book. Um, and so I'm trying to use what we know scientifically and, and associating that to what we don't know scientifically about hell, but we do have witness statements based on 
So let's assume the first person to go uh, into hell, um, that person will take their initial preconceptions of hell with them. And then collectively over hundreds and thousands of years, as people go to hell and they take their energy with them, they're taking their own perceptions of what hell looks like. And so based on that, and this is more of a theory, there's no witnesses that can tell us that because it's not the kind of question people ask when they go to heaven or when they go to hell. But collectively over time, um, as people contribute more and more to this egregore, this ancient egregore, um, they contribute their unique self and their own perceptions of hell to that egregore, which is a collective thought form. And it, the, the egregore itself is not consciousness. It's a collective consciousness of everybody within it, and it influences the people within it as well. So this concept of burning and everything else, there's a couple of things of why. So if one thing that comes up all the time with hellish experiences is as new um, occupants, if you like, of hell approach hell, and they hear the screaming and the, the horrific swearing and the insults and the clanking and the burning and all of the things that are pretty terrifying that are very traditional about hell. They also have this overwhelming sense that whatever beings exist in this place want them to feel their suffering. They want them to be as terrified and as sad and as and hateful as, as they do. So I, I don't know if these, these um, souls trapped in heaven find comfort in or whether it's just jealousy like you know i feel this so you have to feel this but there's always this oversensing overwhelming sense of of these creatures of these demons and actually humans wanting others to be part of that so and and, and so these different things contribute uh, to this and if you think about it the, the purpose if you really want to scare someone which is or, or you really want to um perpetuate evil which is ultimately just making people feel bad and treating people badly. I mean, that's the definition of evil is to frighten people and you know, to terrify them. If you really want to do that, what kind of evil monstrous figures would you come up with in order to scare people? So, and, and, you know, we, we have these traditional descriptions of hell and I've included some in the book, but there are many things about the afterlife that humans just cannot perceive. Uh, color is a good example. There are colors that reported that do not exist in our universe, in, in, on Earth. And the same is true for a lot of these demons and creatures. The descriptions, people try to give the closest description they can, but very frequently they say, look, that's just so much more horrific than what I'm describing. I, it, it, had, it had horns, it had spiders for legs. You know, in heaven, in heaven there are objects that we can, and places that we can understand and associate with. Um, but in hell, it's almost exclusively things that we recognize in hell and um, some of it's quite biblical so if you look at some of the demons have like spiders legs and i did some demonology comparison in the book there's a lot of um figures and creatures that appear in hell that you would expect to see based on scripture so really the only explanation for that is and we know that the necrogor is a collective form. we know it's a manifestation so the only explanation really for these manifestations and these demons is that humans have created these manifestations. And that may be, and I mentioned this as well, it may be that people start to um, manifest themselves, their own being, as being terrifying and scary so they can scare other people, so they can make others feel the way that they're feeling. So it's a complicated subject, hence the reason why I've written a book on it. But I think that's what, you know, hell is a place, sorry, heaven, I should say. Heaven is a kind of kingdom or a place or... 
a, a reality or a universe or whatever term people are most comfortable with. Whereas hell is not really a place. It's a collective manifestation um, within this, this concept of an egregore. And um, another good example of an egregore during the Second World War, which I, I talk about in a book, is um, the, the, the Axis powers in the Second World War. So Hitler and Italy and other countries that collectively shared this extreme um, kind of fascist viewpoint, which people wouldn't normally consider, um, but people get sucked into this collective thought form and they share the same energy. They share the energy of hatred or contempt or whatever is the subject of that egregore. And the same is true for freedom, liberty, which would be the allied powers in this case, where their egregore was about freedom and um, and, and righteousness. And, and, and so, so really they were their own, Kind of earth-like egregores so if you imagine extending that into hell and if you think about what powers hell is human souls which are way more powerful than you know on the, we don't really connect with our souls on earth i know some people can do that um but when we shuffle off this mortal coil you know we're pure energy and very powerful and i've got a section called the, um, your powerful soul and so all of this energy all of these souls over thousands of years have been adding their own personal uniqueness and fears to this collective egregore, ancient egregore, which we call hell, and therefore it grows. Now, all of that being said, it's one of our observers said that the the population of hell is still just a, a grain of sand compared to the overall population in the afterlife. So it's 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 not a massive place. I don't know. I've got questions of my own, which I can't answer. Um, is it just humans that go to hell? Um, or are there other species, assuming there are other species in the universe, which I think statistically there probably are. So there are some questions um, to be answered. Is it a human construct or are there other species that contribute to this? But really, when, as I mentioned earlier, what led me to that conclusion about the egregore is when observers said people chose to go there like, and they can choose to leave. That was an important point as well observers that were having a positive experience, which means they were accompanied by um, God or other beings of light or, or agape, um, which is the term that I used to describe the energy of love or it's kind of like the force from Star Wars. So these people can observe it from the, the comfort and safety of where they are and they don't need to be fearful. So they have more, they're more objective, they have more context. And, and these people, not just one person, and this is what I'm saying about not, it can't be a hallucination, very specific information that witnesses are given us from all parts of the world and they're very specifically saying i felt like these people chose to be there and that they could leave but they couldn't quite put a pin on it they couldn't exactly describe because as we know um with other NDEs, nothing is particularly explicit unless you explicitly ask a question um you tend to get a sense of how things work um a kind of universal knowledge and so no one was able to explicitly say it but this whole idea of you don't choose to go to hell. Sorry, you choose to go to hell, but you don't have to be there. Why would anybody choose to go to hell, particularly after you've read the book? The explanation is is that law of attraction. It's that kind of thing where you're saying like they choose to go to hell, but it's not a conscious decision. It's it's kind of like their state of mind and their emotional their emotional well-being that's built up over their life as what has led them into this distressing near-death experience. Correct. And it's emotional truth as well. It's, um, it's it, because there, there have been some discussions around, and I, I don't know for sure. Um, it's a difficult, it's difficult without doing psychoanalysis on every person that's had a hellish experience, which I would like to do. 
Um, I mean, if the book does well, then that would be the next step is to do a deep dive into, you need to look at people's overall history in their entire life. Um, I mean, for example, if you told me now, um, oh, by the way, you're going to go to hell. When I die, that's not my emotional truth. Even if I believe you, I haven't spent my entire life um, hating myself. And um, my emotional truth doesn't reflect what you just told me. So actually, what, what pulls is, is, is the, the collection of all your energy of your lifetime. And so if you spent your entire life feeling less than worthy, and that, that's the kind of thing that is going to attract you to that negative energy. It's, it's not an pro overnight process. And that's why there's very few instances. I've never read one instance of a child talking about health, not one. Because a child doesn't have time to build up all that negative energy over their lives. Just, just not enough time in their lives for that to happen. I mean, almost 100%, or at least my, all, all the ones I've read of children always are positive. I've never read a negative experience um, for a child. So, yeah, it's your, it's your emotional truth. Nobody would choose to go there. Um, but that same emotional truth is kind of how you get out of hell as well. It's acknowledging um, that you don't deserve this. And I, I wrote in the book, everybody belongs in heaven. There are zero exceptions to that. Um, the question, the, the classic one is Hitler. So this is a classic, like, why would God let Hitler into heaven? So it, it's not, God's not deciding who does and does not go to hell. But the life review, as I mentioned previously, you need to relive all of the pain and emotion. I don't mean physical pain, emotional pain, which can be terrifying. If you've ever been physically assaulted, which I have, it's terrifying. I think it's more painful emotionally than physically. Um, and, and particularly with disease, you learn to tolerate the physical pain. It's the emotional pain that causes the most stress in your life. And so going through the 6 million deaths or, and all the suffering, and bearing in mind, there's a ripple effect on the life review. You're not just feeling how, let's say, your victim um, felt it's also how their family feel and how others you know it, it's it's a very extensive process what what we do in life when it comes to how we treat others ripples through the universe so it's a very extensive um, impact that you're having just when you hurt one person depending on the severity of the emotional harm that you cause and so if you imagine a life review requires you to get through it someone the answer to someone like Hitler and it's not what people that are particularly religious and want doctrine to tell you it's not what they would like to tell you, but the reality is largely the same. If you've lived a bad life, the form of judgment is self-judgment, self-imposed judgment. But it's and I had many debates with my wife, and it, it, she's very strong, uh, very strong um, position that she takes on this. So she has a fairly religious background, uh, Russian Orthodox, and so she believes no, no, you go to hell, God sends you to hell. That's just not what the research tells us. Um, but that being said, if it makes people that believe that more comfortable. The life review, it, 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 God's not judging you, but people don't go like Hitler wouldn't have got there and said, you know what, I don't care. Your sense of empathy and compassion is significantly enhanced, increased, because and, and I'm actually I'm already starting to look at a second book for this, but you weren't always the person you are now. So you weren't always this person. And so when you go to heaven, you're kind of going back to the person you were before. You retain your consciousness and all of your unique, unique experiences that you've garnered through your life, that goes with you, but you just, it's something you have to accept, but there's an explanation behind it, but something you need to accept is we weren't always who we are today. And so this life has um, got us to where we are. So when we go to heaven, we start to remember things about who we were before. And um, 
when we get to the life review, we're not just going to say, you know what, I don't care. Those people deserved it. We have a different perception of what we did. And so when we go for the life review, it's, um, it's, it's, it's done without all of the things that people use to justify their actions in life. And even if you do have those, if you do retain some of that kind of ignorance towards your actions, then just the sheer fact of experiencing what you've put other people through, if it was significant, particularly in the case of genocide, it's unlikely that you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be able to suffer through that entire process. And so whether on, on the face of it, it's God saying, look, you deserve this, or whether you're saying it, the result is the same. If you've lived a particularly heinous life and you've hurt lots of people, um, then the result is ultimately likely to be the same. Um, now, I, don't, I haven't been able to answer because we only get reports of people that have come back. And obviously, we don't know what happens to people that stay there. And we don't know how long they stay there for. But we do have some witness statements that say hell is not permanent and that nobody stays in hell forever. And certainly God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. And I think this is where free will comes into it. So if God doesn't want you to go to hell and there's nothing or the creator or, or, or the being of light, whatever word makes people feel comfortable, if God doesn't want you to go to hell, then why would he allow it? And the answer to that would be free will. And uh, for example, we, 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 we create the devil um, this mythical creature to blame for humanity's own uh, misgivings and, and weaknesses. And um, that, that, that's free will that's doing that. That's not, people say, why does God allow suffering? Well, I mean, with the exception of disease, most suffering is, is created by human beings in many cases, particularly from a, a war perspective and, and crime and violence and stuff like that. So I, I, I think that, you know, we, we, we find it quite convenient um, to blame God for things that we don't like. Um, but we, we also talk a lot about our free will and our liberty. Well, we can't have both. So I think a lot of, you know, and this answers the question of, well, why would God let you go tell? Well, he can't really stop you. You know, if that's your decision, that's your decision. And whether you make it consciously or subconsciously, now obviously you will make it consciously, your emotional truth what you've collected over your life, that's your decision matrix. That's, that's, what, that's where you're going. And then, as you know, there are ways around that and discussed in the book as well. And also one other point, when, when you go to hell and you, and, I mean, if you read some of the life reviews, not just in my book, but if you read any life review, it's a very overwhelming process and people become very, they become very introvert at that point. They become kind of absorbed in their own experience and they almost block out everything that's going on around them. So if I'm, accompanied by these beings of love and i'm going for my life review and they're saying things like, and this has happened before as well some of the witness accounts like it's not your fault you're only human um, what have you learned from it that when it gets really bad and you're really struggling to get through it you tend to start close out you kind of block out these um what's being said you, you block out the the support that you're receiving at that point and so one of the problems with people being in hell is they just, they think that God doesn't love them. They think they deserve it, which is a terrible, horrible thing to think. And they think I belong here. And so when you do that, you're, you're blocking out God. When you say, um, I, I, you know what, because a lot of people like, I don't believe in God. That's fine if you don't believe in God. But you know, this is, this is a, a kind of a research based on witness statements. And so this is what I believe will happen to everybody. And when you see it for yourself, then you know, most people believe with their own eyes. Um, but 
believing that he loves you is not the same as believing that he exists. So you can know that God exists and be in hell and think, you know what? He doesn't love me. I deserve to be here. Or you, or you can believe, you know what? I believe you like, and that's the important thing. It's, it's important that people understand that he does love you and you do belong in heaven. It's where we all belong. And that is how you connect with God from hell or you connect with heaven or it's not always God. In other cases, it's family members or whatever it is. Um, so that that's also an important point as well. The, the why people remain in heaven is because either they refuse to complete their life review, which is is absolutely essential to cleanse yourself of your negative energy and to learn from your life or purpose of life. And the second one is they just cannot see the light. They just that very few people would refuse to see the light. Um, and and as I mentioned before, the egregore starts to absorb, um, or I should say, the people in the egregore start to absorb the egregore. And um, I actually read a really interesting NDE recently. I didn't include it in the book. It's a, it's a new one where a guy was in a place where um, he was he was compelled to, I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff that was happening to him around his physical form, which is not uncommon. But he was going from person to person in, in this hellish environment, stabbing people. And he was terrified initially. But what he said was, as I went through that, every subsequent person I stabbed, I started to enjoy it. I start, and which was terrifying for him. But what that demonstrates is that he was starting to be influenced by the egregore, by the environment that he was in. And that and that's the, the problem. I think that's why a lot of people get stuck there because they just become consumed by it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, there's different levels as well, isn't there? You talk about an area called the Nexus and also a kind of purgatory. And it's almost the sort of like for a lot of people, hell would be burning and demons but for other people actually there what would be hell for them is something quite different to that yeah I, I, absolutely so i mean for an egregore to exist it does need to be powered by a number of, of souls so by a, an amount of energy so for example if you went to hell and your preconception of hell um was i don't know uh, an empty cell uh, on your own that probably wouldn't work because there's just one person's perception of what it was so it's not enough to manifest the reality that the people find themselves in but the nexus the nexus actually is is and this comes up i call it the nexus i think the most common term that people use is the void and um it's effectively the the crossroads between heaven and hell or or, or it's a i mean probably a better description it's the waiting room of um of heaven for many people and people don't describe sense of fear I mean, unless your emotional truth is attracting you to the egregore, to hell, people tend to find this place very comforting. And despite it being dark and nothing there, I mean, completely pitch black, 
people describe it as having a kind of fluidic um, environment, but they don't feel they, they they feel comfortable. They feel like, yep, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be, and they're not afraid. The problem is if at that point when you get to the void, and actually a lot of experiences end in the void, and 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 those and this comes to the the emotional response you have. If you go to the void and you have a positive emotional response, then you can, when you come back to your to your uh, mortal form, you continue to go on and believe this is a fantastic place. But there are people that hear horrible laughter, um, demonic laughter, and screaming, and whispers, and various other things. So the void is more of a crossroads. Um, it's a kind of waiting room before you. Not and people don't wait there for long. And, and typically, for a positive ND, uh, you tend to get a prick of light in the distance, and then it grows and grows and grows. And then you're you're welcomed by some kind of guardian that takes you on the remainder of your journey and kind of reinitiates you back into heaven. Um, but for a negative, you this is a pretty terrifying place because you, you you're in darkness. You have none of those feelings of understanding. You're confused. You're afraid. A lot of the times you're cold. In positive NDEs, there's no physical experience. There's no there's no body you know, unless you manifest it or or on for your benefit it's manifested for you um but typically for hellish NDs, that's not the case it's, it's a pretty terrifying experience and then you fall from that point where you get sucked into whatever the dynamic is of that particular situation you you, you kind of um, get sucked into hell so there is the traditional hell um i've only read about two there may be more and certainly as i covered in the book there are many religions that believe like hindu hinduism believes in multiple levels of hell um, and many other religions do well as well. But I could only find the traditional hellish experience and purgatory. And I think it kind of makes sense if you think about it, because a lot of people, purgatory, again, we're talking about a concept that existed for thousands of years. So it, it kind of makes sense. I'm not the first person to talk about purgatory. It's been around for forever. So it's not surprising that there's a manifestation of purgatory in hell. And actually, the people that are attracted to purgatory are different in some ways when it comes to their emotional truth to the people that are attracted to the more traditional hell. The people that are attracted to purgatory typically suffer from deep depression. And we've seen this. So it's deep depression. It's a feeling of a lack of self-worth. It's sense of uh, feelings of guilt. Um, and it's all that kind of self-loathing. That tends to be the people we see attracted to that particular egregore. And it, it, it is pretty horrifying because um, even though there's not demons and I mean, I talk about being eaten alive in the book um, and, and some other forms of torture that came up, but just being in an environment where you're kind of perpetually stuck in your own depression that you just live on and on and on and on and on is pretty terrifying, I think. And, but the same, the same rules apply to purgatory as they do to traditional hell. It's, it's the same place effectively. It's just a different manifestation of of your emotional truth in that particular scenario, and um, I, I, I don't think I've read. I don't have one. I've never read one statement where somebody that went to purgatory had anything other than um, depression and, and self loathing for themselves. So that was a pretty clear cut um, kind of hypothesis on purgatory because these the people that, that there was enough information in their statements to say. You know, for example, there's one, I suddenly felt this, I don't deserve this. So a really good example is um, one particular lady, she saw the light of God and she felt this over-sensing overwhelming sense of love. 
But then she she just suddenly felt, you know what? I, I don't deserve this. I'm below this. This is I'm below this. I don't deserve this. And then she reverted to her and she used the word lifelong state of depression. So she specifically said that. So she's acknowledging that through my pretty much my entire adult life, I've been depressed and I don't think I'm worth anything. And so therefore she was attracted to a place where people just mumble, they bump into each other. And there, there is, interestingly, there is a, a little bit of awareness between these different people in purgatory, but typically speaking, they're wrapped up within themselves and they're just kind of mumbling and walking around and bumping into each other and not really aware of those around them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, so, but that's it. I haven't, other than purgatory and traditional hell, I've not come across any other versions of hell. One other thing that I noticed in the book, and I think you just mentioned this quickly, was that sometimes people have these NDEs and there's somebody else in the room with them and they get some kind of experience as well. Yeah, that's, um, that, that's an, that's an incredible one. So, um, I, there's been a, there's a few examples of that. So there's two. So we'll talk about those two. So there was one where a young lady, um, and I think she had a daughter at home. She was taking nitrous oxide. So this is a gas that some people take as a as a narcotic or as a recreational drug at parties. And um, th this particular lady, um, she she had respiratory failure, which is not uncommon when you when people are absorbing nitrous into their bloodstream. So she had a respiratory failure. She starts to have this experience. And when one of the guys at the party, a young guy, was resuscitating her by doing, um, by doing heart massages, so he was kind of doing CPR on her, and he, he actually felt the heat on his hands and the burning on his hands from her chest. So he actually, and he, he, he kind of went a bit deeper than that. So he, he felt this burning, but he also had a sense that it was hell. So it wasn't just like, oh, because you could have just said, oh, maybe your chest warmed up from the nitrous and the organs in your body reacted in a certain way. Um, but he actually acknowledged that, wow, I felt the burning fires of hell. So that was one example. And then another example was a lady on the beach um, and she, she had um, diabetes and um, her blood sugar levels were really low. And, and then she went into respiratory failure and um, uh, her husband actually heard screams and saw fire. And I mean, it's not, because when you look at the, if you think of it, I mean, it's difficult to use words scientific because most scientists would laugh us out the room. But if you, probably the best way to look at um, the realm of heaven and hell is, is, is in many ways a parallel universe. So the, the, the veil between earth or our universe and heaven, and actually a good example for this is if you look at Elon Musk, right? So there's, a, there's this kind of um, theoretical belief or belief is the wrong word, theoretical theory that um, we all live in a simulation. So our lives, it's like the matrix. You know, there's actually a scientific belief in this and, and Elon Musk um, believes in this. I actually say that that's not that different from what we're talking about here. So if you imagine that in the simulation we're living in is we, we're the ones that put ourselves in this simulation by living these lives on earth. And if you think about it, God could be uh, the kind of head developer of, or, or the, the, the proprietor of this simulation. So really, if you if you look at the fundamental of what this theory believes and anyway, so, so th th there's a veil between where we live in our lives and where we go when we die or leave the simulation, if you like, if, you, if you're looking for comparisons. So that, um, that, that veil very rarely gets broken. Obviously there's reports of, um, uh, ghosts and spirits. I try to avoid that kind of fringe stuff. I, I just, I, 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 there are many reports of ghosts, but there's no scale. 
like the Grayson scale or spiritual encounters when it comes to that. And um, there's not um, an extensive library of experiences that we can draw upon. You know, th there's no physical evidence, obviously, because science hasn't quite got that far. Um, so I think when people have that experience, it's kind of like the, the, the bond. It's a bridge. I think when, when a human soul is experiencing that, and at the point that they return across the veil, so in this case, from their hellish experiences, as they return from this hellish experience through the veil, as they come closer to their bodies, they're kind of connecting the two worlds. So, and, and this is theoretical, but it, if, if we had to explain it, this is how I would explain it. As they come back to their bodies, they're, they're, and bear in mind, the, person, the guy that was doing CPR, he's a soul as well. And so even though he's not dead, he still has a soul. It's just somewhat suppressed. So when this person comes back into their body, their body is it's that, that exact point in time when, and this happens in every NDE, they always come back to their body. There has to be, um, just by elimination, there has to be an opening for that soul to get into that physical earthly body. There has to be. And it's interesting, it's always at that point that people share an experience, a hellish experience. It's at that exact moment that that person comes back into their body or is, is going through the process of returning to their body. So I think to me, that's how I would explain that. There's other interesting scenarios where people would die together and also had a shared NDE. Although that, uh, uh, there's one in the book that talks about that, where two people had a car accident and both of them found themselves in hell. The book is called How to Escape from Hell. So how do you escape from hell? Yeah, so I, I mean, the reason I use that word, I, I wanted to kind of um, give it, I, I, I don't want people to confuse it with a religious book. It does talk about religion. Um, I don't want people to, it's a bit fantastical, alarmist on the title. Um, but really, the appeal for this book is to everybody. It's not intended for only people that believe in NDEs. It's, there's, there's not been many or any that I can find um, books on hell that aren't religious or theological in nature or psychological in nature. So it's, I, think, I think from that point of view, as you know from reading the book, it's a narrative nonfiction. So it's written like a, a fictional book, like a story, but it's, a, it's nonfiction. And, and there's a good reason for that because it's a journey. It's a journey through hell. And it's a journey coming back from hell. And so, um, there's, but, but despite the name of the book, the big twist here is actually the book is, it's a message of hope. And it's, it's not, it, it, it is horrifying and terrifying, as you know, the experiences that people have had. And to think that anyone would have to go through such a horrific experience is terrifying. But at the same time, it, it, it talks about how, as, you, as, we, as we're talking about how to escape from hell, but also importantly, how not to get there in the first place. And the message is really simple. When people say, what do I need to do to not go to hell? So it's so simple. All you need to do is treat other people well and to forgive and love yourself. It's really that simple. What does God want from me? He wants you to be a nice person. It's that simple. It's all he wants from you. Everything else, he wants you to enjoy your life and um, to, to, to help other people. You know? And if you do go above and beyond and you, know, you become uh, build schools in Africa and you do other great things, then great. You know, that, that's great. But just helping someone across the road or um, giving, I mean, the, the examples of this that I've read about, um, giving $5 to somebody so they can get a meal even when you can't afford it or five pounds when you can't afford it yourself. So it's, it's really just about how we treat others. That's, that's the conditions. Um, and everyone belongs in hell, um, but 
all God wants from us is just to be good people and take care of each other. It's really that simple. So that's really the message of the book, how you escape from hell. So, and actually I always said that even if one person um, did this and was able to escape from hell, it was worth writing the book. So as I mentioned earlier, when you, a lot of people, when they go for their life review, they become so consumed by the negativity of what they've done and, and the overwhelming feeling of, of, of the other people's emotions that they've hurt, their victims, or the people that they've been uh, egregious to. And so they, they, they kind of lose sight of the light at that point. And then when they find themselves in hell, there's this instant kind of acceptance, which you see in the book. Inst okay, I'm in hell. This is where I belong to be. So you do not belong to be in hell. No one deserves to be in hell. So no one belongs in hell. Everybody belongs in heaven. There is nothing that we can do that would make God love us less, the creator, the being of light, whichever term we find most comfortable, um, the supreme being, supreme intelligence for Elon Musk. So whatever. So, so there's nothing that we can do that would force God to put us in hell. So all we need to do when we're in that situation, and actually atheists have done this. So this is not just religious people. Atheists have, have dug deep into their memory to find a prayer. And I know prayer sounds a bit, it's religious. But it's not about the prayer. It's not about the words. It's about the acknowledgement. It's about acknowledging that God is there and he loves you and you love him. And, and you'll feel that when you first meet God or any being of light, you'll feel this immense thing of love. And But it, the feeling coming towards you will be far more overwhelming than the feeling leaving you. And so when, when so really, you, you just need to acknowledge the light. Um, that's, so that's what to do if you end up in hell in the first place. Obviously, finish your life review. It's you're not being judged in your life review. It's going to be tough. Um, I mean, you could even start mentally preparing for it now, but you need to get through that process. It's very important that that needs to be completed. If you find yourself in hell, you can call for God um, or Jesus or whichever um, religious, as long as it was an actual person in history, I imagine. don't know for sure, but I assume it would have to be a soul that lived on earth at some point. You can call for that entity. And there are examples of, of people being pulled out of heaven, sorry, pulled out of hell all the time it happens. But there is something you can do now um, to, to make this entire process. There, there are a couple of examples where people had their life reviewed and it was purely positive despite having, they're like, well, you know what? I did some bad things in my life. Like, why, is my, why is my life review not, why is it entirely positive? Why is there a negativity in my life review? The simple answer to that is they already learn in life from their mistakes from what they did. And they'd already forgiven themselves for those things. So I, I did this exercise and I think it's quite helpful. If we look back now, and everything, everything you can remember, even knocking into somebody, just saying something nasty, contemptuous to, to a stranger, every, all of it counts. It all matters. It'll all be included. So just look back at everything in your life, even uh, wives, husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, brothers, sisters, it all applies. You look back through your life. What have you done that you think you could have done better? And do, do, you, not, do you feel any empathy for what you did? Could you have done it better? So you can learn now from that. If you're one of these people that... Um, it's just like, you know what? I was in the right there in the wrong. Well, that's, that's not going to, it's not going to work. So there's no in heaven. And I'll cover this in the book. You can't hide what you're thinking. God knows everything. Everyone knows everything. In fact, so you can't hide. So it's better to be honest with yourself. Now look back through your life. What could I have done differently? What could I have done better? Stop being the victim. Cause we all do that. It's like, well, I was the victim. That's, it's not really about that. Um, even if you were. 
you know, what could I have done differently? And I think that will help people when they get to, and I think that explains why some people that go for the life review, despite expecting to have some issues, did not, because they're able to kind of go through their lives prior to heaven. Bearing in mind that this journey on earth is a, is a learning experience to enrich our souls. And so that's the ultimate goal here. Um, so they're the, they're the three things that I, I would bear in mind. Um, but the, the number one message for me is to remember that there is nothing that we can do that would make God love us less. That's kind of my motto when it comes to the book. And what are the kind of after effects that people have when they've had a distressing near-death experience and they, they come back to their body without being lifted to the light? Do they have PTSD? Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Some people do. I don't know about as far as PTSD, but people, I mean, the most common outcome is turning to religion because in the absence of any other explanation, and this is part of the problem with the subject, if somebody has a hellish NDE or a, a lesson positive, a lot of people don't like the word hellish, then where do they go? Who do they talk to? I mean, they're going to get dismissed as being crazy or um, they're, just, they're just not going to get the support they need. And so they carry this burden with them their entire lives believing they're not worthy. And that's an absence of information. It's like any ignorance. It, it doesn't help us um, as a people to just live in ignorance. And so most people turn to religion. Um, a lot of people turn to spirituality, which I think is a good thing, because I think spirituality um, is, is rooted in the same concepts that we see in their death experiences. Um, it's about morality and treating people well. It's not about a deity. It's not about being subservient. It's not about living by a laundry list of rules and regulations it's just about being a good person so i think a lot of people turn to spirituality um buddhism is another one that people turn to as well um but uh, most people at least the, the, the accounts i've read and, and some of the people i've spoken to they, they struggle to talk about it um verbally so it's easier to write it down than it is to talk about it um but a lot of people have a physical reaction when they start to talk about it they start to hyperventilate they, they they just kind of retract into themselves and they just yeah they they don't like talking about it i think that also speaks to your earlier question why don't people report it i think some people are just scared to talk about it well it's been great talking to you and it's a fascinating book do you have a website you can direct people to i do yeah the website it's really just run as how to escape from hell.com and is the book available yet or is it still um in the process of being published it's, it's finished. Uh, so the book's finished, but it's still in the process of being published. I've, I've been talking to a couple of publishers. Um, I, I'm going through the uh, beta reading stage. Um, so at this point, the book is out there with 20 or 30 people from around the world, predominantly in the US, because um, that's a big market for this subject, particularly around spirituality. So I've got um, a lot of people reading the book and I'm gathering feedback. I want to bring that into the book. I want to make sure that it's understood. I, I mean, it's really good talking to you as well, Simon, because I can tell from our conversation that it made sense and it was clear to you. And that was my biggest concern because it's such a complicated subject. I was worried that people just wouldn't get it. Um, but I haven't seen that so far. I think people do understand what it is I'm saying. I've gone to great lengths to, to make it clear. Um, so I, my expectation is, is um, depending on publishing, um, whether I do publish or publish or self-publish, uh, my target currently is February uh, next year. And can people contact you through the website? They can, yeah. I've got a form on the website and people can contact me either via the email address on the website or via the form. So people are more than welcome uh, to reach out to me. Great. And I'd love to hear from anybody that's had a, a, a head issue or negative experience and they want to talk about it. Um, you know, I, I'm, I only know as much as I've researched, but if there's anything I can do to help people understand what they've gone through, then I'd be very happy to talk to them. Well, that's fantastic.
and thanks for giving us your time and coming onto the podcast. No problem at all. Thanks for your time, Simon. I really appreciate it. Have a great, great evening. And that was an interview with David Gorelli about his book, How to Escape from Hell, Studies of the Afterlife. A great way to support the podcast is to sign up on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash pastlivespodcast or click on the button on my homepage at pastlivesypnosis.co.uk. Also, if you're a patron, you get a 25% discount when you book a past life regression session with me. And if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or via your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out on any episodes. And thanks for listening.